gospel reading today is from 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Thanks be to God. So this morning, Peter has some specific instructions to the elders of these churches in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. So you might be, must be thinking, what does this passage have to do with me? Because he's writing to pastors. But how fitting that this morning, as we were praying for the future man God will bring to this church, I want you to view this passage through the lens of a church member. What qualities should we be looking for in our next pastor? Now, we know that these specific congregations scattered all over Asia Minor were experiencing local persecution. Gentile Christians who were once following after all these different religions decided to follow after Jesus. And when they did so, they paid a price for it. So Peter is instructing these elders and these pastors, here is how you are to take care of the people in your congregation. Just this past week, I read a story of a pastor and his wife in China who showed up on June 30th, just a couple of months ago, on a Sunday morning, only to find his church barricaded by a wall of policemen and government officials. And they told him that no longer would any religious activity be able to take place at their church. This church had been in operation since 1950, and the pastor and the church were fined the equivalent of $36,000 in American money. So there are pastors all over the world who have congregations that are experiencing persecution. And Peter is writing to these pastors and telling them, this is what you need to do when your congregation is going through difficult times. Imagine the number of Christians in this setting who would have questioned why they even decided to follow after Jesus, because as soon as they did, they began to experience persecution and suffering. And so as we unpack this text this morning, view it through the lens of, this is what we want in our next pastor. And the first thing Peter encourages these pastors and elders to do is to take care of their people. To shepherd the flock is what Peter tells them. And Peter writes as someone who is an elder or a pastor himself. So he can have empathy with what these brothers are experiencing because he himself is a pastor. And he tells them, your primary duty as an elder is to shepherd the flock of people that God has given to you. And we see this image of sheep and shepherd all throughout scripture. And a shepherd had two primary jobs. Number one, he was to protect his sheep. And number two, he was to make sure his sheep don't go astray. Now, what would these believers need protection from? 
Well, the main thing that they would need protection from was false teaching. Imagine, you are a Gentile who has decided to follow after Jesus, and then suddenly, everything goes wrong. People are making fun of you. You're experiencing persecution. It would be real easy for some false teacher to come and say, you don't want to follow Jesus. Look what has happened to you since you decided to follow after him. And so it was the shepherd's job to protect his congregation, to make sure that they understood that God was going to be with them even in the midst of their suffering. There were all sorts of different religions and philosophical trains of thought in the day. Stoics, cynics, Epicureans, mystery religions. So many different ways these Gentiles could have gone. But they chose to follow after Jesus. And so it was these pastors' jobs to protect their people. But it was also to make sure that they didn't veer away. We've talked about this past month the amount of people that leave the faith when suffering happens to them because they don't see a way that they can reconcile faith in a loving God with suffering. And so these pastors had to be prepared to walk their people through this time of suffering and help them see that yes, you can reconcile suffering that happens to you with a loving God. These pastors were putting their lives on the line for their congregations. Their families could have been in danger and in jeopardy. And Peter tells them, not only are you to take care of your people, you're to do it willingly, not under compulsion. Now here's the sticky part for pastors is because we all know that we get compensated to do what we do. So we are paid to go visit the sick. We are paid to preach the gospel. We are paid to strategize how can we reach our community better. And so if we're not careful, it can turn into an instance where we're going through the motions, where we're just doing it out of obligation because we know we have to do it. But that's not what Peter is saying here. He's saying that elders and pastors should be doing this willingly. Now, I'd like to tell you that every single task I perform every single week is always done with the best attitude and in perfect joy. But you know that's not the case. There are things that all of us have to do in our job that we know that just have to get done. You experience the same thing where you work. There are certain things that must be done. But for the most part, a pastor's heart should be one who genuinely enjoys what he does. He enjoys preparing his message. He enjoys visiting the sick, encouraging people, thinking about ways to reach the community. And Peter says they should do this willingly, not under compulsion, and not only to receive a paycheck. Not just for their own gain. Not just for business purposes. You see, the danger that Peter is writing to, even in a first century context, where money is not nearly as much of a big of a deal as it is today, he was already warning these pastors, make sure that what you're doing is not strictly so that you can get a paycheck. Not strictly so that you can advance yourself. If pastors and elders are not careful, they can view every church as a stepping stone to a bigger and better platform, to a bigger paycheck. But that's not what Peter tells these pastors to do. Put your congregations ahead of your own gain, he tells them. 
So the primary thing that we should be looking for in our next pastor is somebody who shepherds the flock, who takes care of his people. And then the second thing Peter talks about is we want a leader who leads and does not dictate. Generally speaking, my way or the highway doesn't inspire a lot of people. Now let's go back to the shepherd and sheep illustration again. If you're a shepherd, you can see your sheep and you can begin running and screaming at them and a majority of them will head back the way that they're supposed to go. I mean, it will work. People can do that. But there will always be sheep along the way that choose to veer off. There will always be sheep who say, I don't know what this guy's doing, but I'm not following him. Peter is telling these pastors, it's not about your superiority. It is about leading the people that God has entrusted you to in a way that when those sheep that are way back here don't catch up with the rest of the group, you go back and you walk beside them and you gently and patiently push them in the direction where they need to go. That is what a good shepherd does. You see, we can communicate one of two ways. We can say, do this because I told you to, or this is what I want for you. And that communicates two different things. Do this because I said so communicates power and control. But communicating, this is what I want for you, come alongside of me, communicates encouragement and hope and a future. Lead. Don't dictate. This is the challenge that Peter is giving these elders and these pastors. Again, it's real easy to scream and yell and tell people to do what you want them to do. But if you're not leading them towards that direction, as a good shepherd would do, it's not nearly as meaningful. We should be the example as shepherds and as pastors and as elders for our people. Our actions and our words should align. Talk is cheap. Everyone knows that. Everyone can spot a phony when they say something on stage, but their life doesn't align like it throughout the week. And what Peter is saying is, your example as a pastor, as an elder, matters to the people that you lead because everyone can spot a phony. Talk is cheap. And the reason pastors and elders are called to be models and examples is because Jesus modeled it for us. Jesus came, he said, to serve, not to be served, and to give his life as a ransom for many. It was never about the pomp and the circumstance or the prestige for Jesus. It was about faithfully and humbly being an example to those that he shared the gospel with. And that's what being a good shepherd does. He models the example that Jesus, he serves his people. And then number three, he anticipates the crown. And Peter gives this example of this unfading crown of glory. In other words, the most important thing that a pastor or an elder can do is actually make sure that he is connected to the chief 
shepherd. This is not my church. The pastor does not own the church. Jesus Christ owns the church. As a result, the most important relationship a pastor or an elder can have is not to you, but it's to Jesus. Making sure that he stays connected to the chief shepherd. This is what John 15 is all about. Abiding in the one true vine. Now here's the danger for pastors and elders and myself here. Is that sometimes we think that the success of our church is directly related to our personal relationship in Christ. And it is not. There are people who faithfully, as pastors, study the Word of God, meditate on it, memorize it, faithfully care for their congregations, and guess what? Their churches never explode. Conversely, there are gifted communicators, men who know how to run an organization, and their churches explode, but yet their hearts are far from God. There is no direct relationship always between the success of a church and the amount of time that pastor stays connected to the chief shepherd. But that is something that cannot be compromised. The pastor's relationship to Jesus and his personal time with God must trump everything else. And the stickiness of that is that so much of what pastors do is considered spiritual. So working on a sermon, while beneficial for my faith, is not the same thing as spending time with Jesus. That is spending time preparing a sermon. That is work. Going to visit the sick is a part of my job. Is there spiritual benefit to it? Of course, but I cannot count that as my time with God. I cannot count my sermon preparation as being my time one-on-one, just me and the Lord. While beneficial for me, it is not the same. It is a pastor's job to make sure that he stays first and foremost connected to Jesus himself. With no strings attached. What is God doing in that pastor's life? What is God showing that pastor through his personal time in the Word that absolutely has nothing to do with anything in his congregation, but is spending time with God just for the sake of spending time with God? This crown of glory that Peter talks about here, it's a metaphor for the heavenly life. So pastors and elders who faithfully pursue God, faithfully proclaim the word of God, they are going to receive this unfading crown of glory. They are going to receive eternal life with Jesus. But it's not just available to pastors and elders. It's available to every one of us in this room. The unfading crown of glory is open to anyone who will profess faith in Jesus. Eternal life is possible. For anyone who acknowledges that Jesus paid the price on the cross for our sin. Not just pastors and elders, everyone's sin. And this crown of glory that Peter uses as a metaphor for the heavenly life is freely available to anyone who will receive it. So this was Peter's instruction to these pastors and these elders This is what we ought to be looking for in our next pastor. Somebody who takes care of his people. Somebody who leads and doesn't dictate. Somebody whose primary relationship focuses on God himself. 
And then Peter opens up this discussion to now include the entire church in verse 5. And the first thing he says is he talks to the younger people in the church. Now there's a lot of debate over what Peter means here by younger people. Is he talking about younger elders? Is he talking about everyone in the church who is not an elder? Is he talking about younger people, which is exactly what the text says? Most likely, Peter is actually doing what he says here. He's talking to the younger people in the church. Generally speaking, those of us who are younger often struggle with authority, don't we? And those of you that are not young, you remember when you were young and how you really didn't like to be told what to do. Well, let's just be honest. None of us, no matter what age we are, really like being told what to do. But Peter is cautioning and encouraging these younger members in the churches who were perhaps doubting the direction that the pastors and elders were taking them. He told them, you need to submit to your pastor's leadership. Now, I want to point out two things. What this does not mean is church members should just blindly follow their pastor no matter what he says. That is not what Peter is teaching here. If a pastor comes in and leads you in a direction that goes counter to the word of God, then you are free to leave. And I would recommend that you do that. So this does not mean blind allegiance to a pastor no matter what. And it also doesn't mean that the pastor or the elder can do whatever he wants without any accountability. Every church has checks and balances and a healthy dose of church leadership and a healthy dose of congregational leadership in order to make sure that the balance of power never gets out of hand. But Peter is cautioning these younger members, don't think that you know everything and trust the leadership, assuming they're leading you in a direction that is consistent with the word of God. So he has these remarks to pastors, elders. Then he has this remark to the younger people. Then he has this remark and he opens up to the entire church. Church, be humble. Clothe yourselves with humility. That's what Peter tells us here. This is not a direction to the pastors or to the young people. This is a direction to every single person in the room. Be humble. This is difficult. Because if we're honest with each other, we all want to be the smartest person in the room. We all want to be the one who has the answers. We all want to be the one responsible for a good idea. And yet Peter is telling these churches that are experiencing persecution unlike we will ever imagine. Be humble. You've often heard that humility is thinking about yourself less, right? That's what humility is. It's not thinking less about yourself. It's actually thinking about yourself less. That's the cliche of what humility is. What if we showed up every Sunday morning asking ourselves, How can I serve someone today? Not, how can I make sure I get my spot in the sanctuary? Not, we really need to adjust the temperature in here, I'm freezing. Not, I didn't care for the songs this morning, we need to fix that. 
Not, I didn't care for the sermon, who's this wise guy who thinks he knows it all on stage. No, but we came in every single Sunday primarily asking this question, how can I serve the people around me? How can I put other people's needs ahead of mine? How can I allow my priorities and my comforts and my preferences to take a back seat for the priorities and the comforts and the preferences of somebody else? That's what humility is. That's what Peter is teaching the church to do. To clothe themselves with humility. And you know what that requires? That requires being willing to let go of control. Which is the hardest thing, I believe, for all of humanity to do. Is to let go of control. Let go of control in your own life. Let go of control in this church. And allow God to work how he sees fit. We've used this illustration of the fish a lot this summer. And remember how I told you that we often think that if we could take the fish out of water, he has more freedom to do whatever he wants to do because he can go all over God's green earth if he's out of the water. But what's going to happen to that fish within a minute or two? He's going to die. A fish is actually more free when it is contained in a body of water. You see, we think we're more free if we're in charge, but you're actually not. You're more free when you release control to the God of the universe who created you in his image. And when you allow him to take control of your life, what you will find is there is unlimited freedom in Christ. But as long as we continue to hold tight and think we're in control of our lives and make the decisions ourselves, we're not free. We're actually enslaved. So what do we do with what Peter is teaching us here? We don't have a pastor or an elder right now, but these are the qualities that we should be looking for. This is an opportunity for us to get ourselves ready for the future that God has for us. So we clothe ourselves in humility. We recognize that we might not get every single quality we want in the next pastor. But that's not what it's about anyways. It's about submitting to the leadership of the Spirit. And Him guiding us in the direction we know He has for us. And trusting that that direction is right. Maybe there are some of you here today who don't have a problem with the pastor elder section, but you have a problem with releasing control in your own life. Maybe you're a control freak. Maybe you can't imagine giving up control to somebody else. But this is what Jesus demands of us. So as we close today, this is an opportunity for all of us to reflect To pray, as Don already told us this morning, every day we have an opportunity to pray for our committee. And now we have seen in the text today the types of qualities that we should be praying for. And it's also an opportunity to ask ourselves this honest question. Are we being humble? 
Are we clothing ourselves with humility? Are we putting others' preferences ahead of our own? And if we do that, if we pray according to this text, and if we humble ourselves, God will be ready to do a work in this church because we are being obedient to what the Word of God says to do. If you would, bow your heads with me this morning. Father, how fitting that we came to this text today, not aware months ago that this would be the same day that we pray earnestly for our committee. This was something that only you could have orchestrated. As we reflect on these qualities that Peter teaches us here, as we pray for our own search committee, God, it is not about us. It is not about our preferences. We need to humble ourselves and submit to your leadership. God, perhaps there are some here today that they just can't give up control. Help them to see that true freedom comes in Christ. God, as we reflect, as we meditate on this passage today and this week, show us how we can be a better church member by praying, by showing humility, by loving and serving others. Father, we are thankful for this passage. The wisdom that Peter gives us. We pray that you would use today's message to bring you glory. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.